Thank you so much for that prayer, care, and uh, what a great day to be in worship. Trinity Sunday, before the Word of God. We are returning to our Exodus series today. So if any of you were with us, last fall we began a journey with Israel. And last fall we journeyed with them from oppression in Egypt to liberation as we saw them walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then earlier this year, in part two of this sermon series, we also journeyed with Israel as they went from wilderness to mountain, from 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to the arrival at Mount Sinai. And now we are coming into the final stretch. Today we are beginning part three of this sermon series. And uh, we are going to see in the next nine weeks the place and glory of God. The place and glory of God as the creator of the universe chooses to dwell with his people. So today we are going to pick up in Exodus 32. Exodus 32, some of you may know if you have a heading at the top of your Bible, it usually says the golden calf. I'm going to tell you, a little secret of mine, how I remember that it's Exodus 32 where the golden calf happens. Here's how I remember it. Exodus 32, cow goes moo. That's one of those things that I spent years of training in seminary. Cow goes moo, 32. Now you will remember where to find this in Exodus. I'm going to set the scene for us just a little bit before reading the text. Here we find that Israel has been camped at the base of Mount Sinai. This is where God has stopped. And God has said, if I move, you move. But if I don't move, you stay put. And so Israel has stayed put. We have said that, uh, the scripture has said that Mount Sinai has been wrapped in thick smoke because the presence of the Lord has descended upon the mountain. And the mountain shook violently with the Lord's presence. It's in these conditions that Moses has traveled up and down the mountain, meeting face to face with God on the top of the mountain and coming down and relaying all that God has told him to share with the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. It's in this way that through Moses, God spoke the law to the people. He spoke the Ten Commandments of great relevance for today's sermon is the second commandment, which clearly says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Keep that in the back of your mind. And interestingly, after all of the commandments were spoken by God, Exodus chapter 20, God follows up with one footnote. God says, to the Israelites, you have seen for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven You shall not make gods of silver alongside me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Pretty straightforward. I mean, there's no small print to the contract. God doesn't start talking really fast. Some regulations might not apply. It's it's just there. It's apparent. It's easy. It's simple. Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 24, God says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there and I will give you the tablets of stone, the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. 
And so we're told that obediently Moses entered the cloud, which is still wrapped around the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and that he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Today we are going to talk about what happened on the 39th day at base camp. We are going to ask this text what the people of Israel grew weary in waiting for. What Moses grew weary in waiting for. And what God grew weary in waiting for. Now this chapter, and we're going to read all of it, Exodus chapter 32. This chapter is one of the most significant chapters in all the Hebrew scriptures. These events have been told and retold for generations. They are well known. This chapter is packed. It's filled with symbols, with prototypes. There are so many things in this chapter that prefigure Jesus Christ. And I want you to tune your ears and go, why does that sound familiar? Like going up into a cloud. Who else did that? So listen for the things that you say, oh, that reminds me of Jesus. Let it remind you of Jesus. This chapter is filled with dense theology, and I have got 19 more minutes to share it with you. I'm going to tell you that you are going to have questions that will not be answered today. You are going to have questions about God and his character. You're going to have questions about sin and its consequence. You are going to have questions about punishment and forgiveness. You will have questions about Aaron, the brother of Moses, that you can ask Dale Bruner because there are many biblical scholars who do not definitively agree on what is going on with Aaron in this chapter of Scripture. So I'm going to tell you right up front that today this chapter and this sermon are going to raise more questions than they answer and I'm going to have to be okay with that. I am going to have to trust that God is going to cause you to come back to Exodus 32 and dig into it on your own. That you will take note of your questions, that you will go, what? And write it down and come back to the text. Go online, look up the commentaries. There is too much here and we are going to be flying pretty close to 40,000 feet. So when I leave you hungry... Come back to the word of God, okay? So, let's get in with this. Exodus 32, it's on page 69 of your pew Bibles. If you want to turn there and follow along, I am going to read the whole chapter. So, relax, get comfortable, and listen to the word of God. Exodus 32, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the golden rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. 
And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and they have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and of you. I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. When Moses turned and went down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, written on the front and the back, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved upon the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound made by victors or the sound made by losers. It is the sound of revelers that I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know this people, that they are bent on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> when Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them run wild to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. He said to them, Thus saith 
the Lord, the God of Israel. Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill your brother, your friend, your neighbor. The sons of Levi, Levi did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 of the people fell on that day. Moses said, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, each of you at the cost of a son or a brother, and so have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Look, my angels shall go in front of you. Nevertheless, when the day comes for punishment, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. Tough stuff, hard to understand stuff. John Calvin began his commentary on this chapter by saying, weariness in waiting betrays many temptations. Weariness in waiting betrays many temptations. How many of you have ever been weary in waiting? How many of you have believed or known that you are waiting for something that God has promised you and yet God is just delaying too long? It just can't take this long to bring this promise to fruition. How many of you have cried out to God knowing that it's that Proverbs 13 line that says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick? And you have cried out, God, my heart is hope sick. God, I can't bear the waiting any longer. Either kill the promise or kill the hope, but do something that shows me that we are on track. I have. How many of you have been tempted to take matters into your own hands, to force the issue, or maybe just tickle it a little bit to see if you can get it to move how many of you have come to the point of giving up on God, on his promise for you, on his timing for you? You decide that you're ready to settle for something else. I have. I almost did. You see, this is a cautionary tale for you and for me about what can happen when we put what we desire above our desire for God himself. Here in Exodus 32, 
we see the people of God weary from waiting. Well, what were they waiting for? Specifically, they were waiting for Moses, and generally, they were waiting for God. Moses had been gone from them for 39 days. Up into the cloud of presence, they watched him climb until he disappeared from their sight. Now, if they had known that Moses would be expending exactly 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, if they had known that they were just one day away from the Moses, Moses coming back and the whole uh, camp moving on, they probably could have waited one more day. But they didn't know when Moses would be back. They didn't know if Moses would be back. After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they did not have one more day of waiting left in them. Today was the day that they decided to take action. Verse 1 says that the people gathered around Aaron. But actually, the Hebrew can be better translated as the mob gathered against Aaron. You see, there were about 600,000 men in the camp, not counting women and children, and about 3,000 of them had had it up to here with waiting. Aaron was the only leader that they could hold accountable, the only one who they could demand something of for their time and their investment and their hope, and so they circled around him and they threatened him. They wanted him to get this show on the road. And check out how this people is talking about Moses. They say, this man, this man who led us up out of Egypt, oh yeah, this man was the one who confronted Pharaoh on their behalf. He parted the Red Sea in their own seeing. They walked through on dry ground. He had been with them every minute of every day. And yet here in Exodus 32, they speak as if they don't know the man this Moses. If they think something has happened to Moses on the mountain, where's the search party? Right? If they, if they think Moses has, has gone missing, if they're worried about his safety, where are the prayers and the fasting, praying for Moses to be safely returned? Where at least is the memorial for Moses before they move on? Moses was out of sight and out of mind there on the mountaintop. And what about God? It wasn't Moses who did all these things for Israel. He was surrounded by the power and purpose of God. Moses had not made a covenant with Israel. God had done that. God had performed miracles for them. God had provided for their every need. He had never let them down. Yet here in Exodus 32, there is no mention of the unutterable name of Yahweh. You see, they had fixated on the promise, but not the presence. And right now, all they wanted was the promise. What did they want Aaron to do? Well, they had been promised that God would lead them into their inheritance, and they wanted nothing less than that divine procession into what they had been waiting for, except that right now it didn't matter which God. 
See, they hadn't been gone from Egypt all that long. They could remember that the Egyptians had many gods. And if Yahweh was going to take this long, maybe Yahweh had already forgotten them. Maybe Yahweh had abandoned them somewhere along the way. If Yahweh was not going to do it, another god would do. It's so interesting that the people made all this fuss about having a god go with them. Why didn't they just pick up and go? You see, it seems that they had grown to love the feeling of divine presence, of being led by divinity. Maybe they had gotten just a little addicted to the idea of spirituality without being committed to the one true God, Yahweh. They had given up on the only true God, exchanged the truth for a lie, and turned to an idol of their own making. So when the golden calf just popped out of the fire, epic excuse from Aaron, right? It's got to be in the top 10 epic excuses of all time of just, I don't know, it popped out. What we see is that the people have fashioned an image that looks just like them. Exodus 32 describes it as an image of a calf, but listen to how Psalm 106 describes what came out of the fire. Psalm 106, verses 19 and 20, recounting this incident says, they made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a cast image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Now, what is an ox known for? literally for its stiff neck, metaphorically for its stubbornness. It is a stiff-necked creature, which is exactly how God described the Israelites. What popped out of the fire was something that looked exactly like the Israelites. One rabbinical scholar says about this passage that an ox is resolute in its own ways, it will not suffer a yoke to be put upon it, but it will back away, run away, and will not turn his head to the one who calls after it. It is an irreclaimable creature. We see that the people of God were weary from waiting for God to deliver his promise. They were tempted to anger. They were tempted by others. They were tempted to revel, which is not a good thing. But worst of all, they were tempted to put themselves above God, to worship something of their own making. And thus, in all those temptations, the outcome was that they broke the first and second commandments of God. Weariness and waiting betrays many temptations. What about Moses? What was Moses weary of waiting for? One thing is certain, he was not weary of waiting on God. You see, there's such a juxtaposition between what is happening at base camp, at the base of the mountain, and what is happening at the top of the mountain. At base camp, all the Israelites could do was count the hours and the minutes and the days of their frustration. They were fixated on it. That's what they were obsessed with. But at the top of the mountain, Moses 
was absolutely content listening to the voice of God speak to him, somehow watching this miracle of God engraving with his own hand these tablets of stone. Moses doesn't seem to have any consideration for time. It's in this mutual love, God speaking face to face as a friend with Moses. It's in this time that Moses and God were interrupted by the sin of Israel. God sees and describes exactly to Moses what is happening right now in real time. He tells Moses that they are in the midst of breaking their promises to him, how they are playing the harlot, how they are giving away their hearts and their minds and their bodies to things that will never love them, and God got mad. And in that anger, Moses immediately face-planted in front of God. He prays for the people of God. Over the past 40 years, this has become a regular posture and a pattern for Moses. The people of Israel just kept doing things that were so arrogant, so ignorant, so wrong, that this place of prayer must have seemed like a permanent position for Moses, a permanent place where he, as their appointed leader, would spend his time and actually face down in prayer is not a bad position for any leader of people to be in. Here, the paradox of this entire chapter, the paradox of the entire Hebrew faith becomes clear. God is merciful and gracious. But in his righteousness, he cannot pardon sin. Here we see that in front of the wrath of God is the prayer of Moses. The relationship between Yahweh, the righteous God, and Israel, a sinful people, was going to be mediated by the law. But the law had already been broken before the tablets ever came down off the mountain. Yet at the first moment of trouble, before the Israelites even knew that they were in trouble, it is not the law that saves them. It is the intercession of one man. As this dilemma is playing out, there is already an appointed and anointed man in the presence of God who is interceding for them. Moses is already there asking for God's grace, not because it's deserved, but because it is what God has promised to do. This is such a prefiguration of Christ, our mediator, our intercessor. In verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, Your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have acted perversely. And Moses, in verse 11, says, No, Lord, these are your people who you brought up out of Egypt. You see, Moses can't deny that these are his people. He is literally of their flesh and blood, but neither can God deny that they are his people. God had chosen to enter into a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He had made a promise to be their God forever, and as Abraham was in a deep sleep, God had indicated that he would fulfill both sides of this contract. It takes a man 
in the presence of God eternally to make intercession for the people who are his. And it takes a God forever merciful to offer grace and forgiveness. This image of Moses on the mountaintop praying for the people in the presence of God and God's grace being stronger than anger is such a beautiful image of the promise of God that is coming. Now here's what I wonder about Moses, who is not Jesus. He is a mere mortal man. I wonder if Moses ever got weary of waiting for prayer to change people. Was he tired of praying for the people? Was he weary of waiting for the people to learn, to grow, to transform into the image of God who was with them every day and every night? Was he growing weary? It's in Deuteronomy 9.26 that Moses opens the window for us, for the people of God. You see, this event was remembered by Moses. He spoke about it often. And so in Deuteronomy, long after they've moved on from the camp, Moses recounts this event again. And here is what he says about his point of view when this happened. He said, throughout the 40 days and 40 nights that I lay prostrate before the Lord, when the Lord intended to destroy you, I prayed for you. I prayed to the Lord. And in Exodus 34, 28, we are told that Moses ate neither bread nor drank water in these 40 days. Now, when was it that Moses spent 40 days praying and fasting for the people of Israel? It wasn't before all of the action. It wasn't when he went down the mountain the first time. It wasn't before all the sin, all the punishment, all the broken pieces of the tablet. It was after. You can see this in verse 30. And can't you just hear the weariness in Moses' voice? Moses says to the people, you have sinned a great sin. But now I will go up, up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. After all is said and done, Moses returns to God. And now he spends 40 days and 40 nights fasting and praying to God. He says to God in prayer, agreeing with God in prayer, this people has sinned a great sin. If only you can forgive them. Notice here that Moses is no longer identifying these people either as his people or the Lord's people. They are now this people. They are now no longer claimed either by God or Moses, fatherless, orphaned. It's in this hopeless situation that all Moses can think to do there, fasting and praying before God, all that comes to him is to offer himself for them. If you can't forgive them, I can understand, but will you take my life in exchange for theirs? And God says, that's not for you to do, Moses. 
It's for me to punish and it's for me to forgive. You see, we have to stop and remember that the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that God will blot out sinners from the book of life, but that through Jesus Christ, God will blot out sin so that all may enter into life. Maybe you have become weary of waiting for people in prayer. Don't stop praying. Do not give up. Do not let up until you stayed up and prayed up for the cause of Christ. God Almighty hears your prayers. Your prayers matter. Will you commit yourselves again to praying for those who God places on your heart? Will you intercede for them because God is an almighty God? This is the one who bends toward us to listen. This is the one who moves in power. This is the one who is quick to forgive. And now God, what about God? What was God weary of waiting for? Absolutely nothing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint. He does not grow weary. And Psalm 105 says, he is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for a thousand generations in God language. That means forever. Did God change his mind? We have to remember that these words, this event, these words were written by a human narrator. This event was lived from the perspective of human beings. According to God's law, this idolatry was punishable by death for all the people. They knew it. They were expecting that. So anything that didn't follow this predetermined outcome would appear to be a change from a human perspective. And yet no one can know the mind of God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. All we can know of God is what is spoken through the prophets and spoken through the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And according to the word of the prophets and of the Savior, it is never God's intention to punish. It is God's intention to save. I think we can say from God's perspective, nothing changed. So now I ask, is there any correlation between Exodus 32 and the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, we don't have two distinct testaments that are separated by some great gulf. This is one whole story of God. And so what connects this passage to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want you to check this out. I want you to turn over to Acts 2 on page 886 in your pew Bibles. Acts 2, you'll remember, is the day of Pentecost, the day that the Spirit came down. We just celebrated it last week with patio baptisms. I want you to listen in Acts 2. The day that the Spirit came down 
and people were given language that they didn't understand, and yet they were speaking it, and they didn't know what was happening. Peter stepped forward and proclaimed the word about Jesus in order to make sense of this. And in the proclamation of that word, the people were convicted in their hearts of their own sin. The word of God did that. Listen in Acts 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. Now when they, the people, heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children. And for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. Is it coincidence that on the day that the law came down, 3,000 people fell by the sword. And on the day the Spirit came down, 3,000 people were added to God's book of life. These numbers are actually very specific. And I think that God wants us to know that yes, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but the Lord delivers on his promises. So what about you? What are you weary from waiting for? Have you allowed something else in your life, something that just appeared in your hands, in your heart? Have you allowed it to inch its way above God? Have you shown an ox-like stubbornness to God when he has called you repeatedly? Are you willing to bend a knee? Are you willing to worship this one true God? Will you be reclaimed by him today? Because his promise is for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by the Spirit, you continue to guide us into understanding. And God, sometimes there are things that are just not meant to be understood and we allow you your mysteries, God. God, what we know is that you are great, that you are powerful. God, that you love us and that you gave Jesus Christ as atonement for our sin. May we dwell in that thought. May we be grateful. May we turn our heads when you call us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And together, all of God's people say, amen.